<laughs> now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer um, and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men, who have turned the world upside down, have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people of the city and the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and staring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, to the sea but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much. There is no one like you. You are alive and fully involved in all of our lives. And so this morning, as we um, look at the story of Paul and Silas and um, the team in Thessalonica and Berea, God, it, this is just not um, a, a history lesson this is a time where we get to hear from you um, and as we hear from you may we be inspired um, to respond to your word the way you want us to in Jesus' name we pray amen amen in 2019 2019 um, award-winning and controversial 
rapper and producer, Kanye West. I knew it when I said his name. We just kind of giggle. <laughs> I don't know why. Kanye West received his ninth studio album. And the title of the album kind of shocked the world, shocked me, it shocked many Christians, uh, because the uh, title of his album articulated one of Christianity's core beliefs, and that is Jesus is King. I remember hearing about the album and seeing the name and thinking, <laughs> what's going on? This is incredible. Kanye West has released an album with a title, not a song, right, within the album, but with the title that articulates one of our core beliefs as Christians, and that is Jesus is King. Now, after the album was launched, obviously, he, he's, you know, he, he went to do a few interviews and um, began to articulate or give us an idea why he named his album that name, and it was he had become a Christian. And because he had become a Christian, he wanted to express his newfound faith by doing an album, not just for Jesus who, of Nazareth, who was a carpenter, but Jesus, who is king. And when we think about the idea of Jesus being king, it's kind of foreign to us, all of us in our current generation, because we, we, we really don't understand or can't comprehend what it means for someone to be king. I know you, some of you guys are thinking and looking at me funny, saying, you're from England, um, you have a royal family, you should understand what a king or queen is and kind of monarchy, but I don't, because our current monarchy, the way it's set up, doesn't function um, the way it should. Um, our queen, who's amazing, God save the queen and all of that, all right, she just doesn't do anything, okay? <laughs> she is basically um, our most prized possession when it comes to getting more tourists um, to England. And so she kind of just waves and does her thing. But in the past, the whole idea of a king or royalty meant more. If you was a king, if you was a queen, you possessed ultimate power um, over a territory or over your people. And so when we say Jesus is king, I hope this brief explanation <laughs> right, um, has helped you begin to understand what it means for Jesus to be king. But Jesus being king is different to earthly kings. And so this morning, I think this passage will help us and give us an idea of why Jesus is king. Um, and not only that, what, what does it mean for us? And what does it mean for the world? What does it mean that Jesus is king? Um, of not just the Jews, but he's king of the world. What, what does all of that mean? And, and what are the implications? And so that's what we're going to be doing. And so this is what's happening in our text. And if you remember last year, last year, last week, Paul and his team were in Philippi. 
Um, and so after leaving Philippi, Paul and his team, what they do is they travel 31 miles west to the ancient city of Thessalonica. Back then, Thessalonica was one of the most important um, capital cities of the Roman Empire in Macedonia. It was very strategic. It was very powerful, a bustling city, lots going on. And so when Paul and his team arrived, what they do is what they've always done when they arrive in a new city. And that is, they on the first Sabbath day, um, they go to the local synagogue and begin to tell people about Jesus and who he is and what he's called them to. And so look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Um, for three weeks, Paul has been going to the synagogue and it says he's been reasoning from the scriptures. By the way, the word scriptures here doesn't mean our Bible like we have it. It's basically half of our Bible, actually. When you see the word scriptures in the Bible, it's referring to the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. All right. Also, the Greek word translated reasoned here is the root for our English word dialogue. Okay, we're, we're having some Greek, Greek lessons here, yeah? Not just history, but we're having language lessons, all right? <laughs> um, word reasoned is the root for our English word dialogue. And so when it says Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures it means paul dialogued with them from the scriptures his teaching was interactive and he encouraged them to ask questions along the way so it was an interactive study okay and you guys have been to kind of interactive studies here we have what we call community groups and our community groups meet during the week and what people do is they sit in a circle or in a living room or wherever and they you know they study scripture and it's not just one person speaking like we're having now um it's one person leading it but they're inviting questions and getting people to interact and so that's what's going on in the synagogue when it says Paul reasoned with them. And so the question we have to ask is, what then was the aim of this dialogue? What was he trying to teach them? Look at verse 3. It says, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And so the aim of Paul's reasoning and teaching was to help them see that the Christ, okay, the Messianic King, promised in the Old Testament, is Jesus of Nazareth. Now, this must have been quite a shock to his listeners. And this is why. In those days, Jews were very familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures, okay, the Old Testament, especially the part that talked about the Christ, the Messiah, okay? Now, to the Jew, the Messiah was this chosen and anointed king who they were anticipating and looking forward to 
deliver them from Roman oppression. And so back then and even now, um, every time a Jew heard the word Christ, they pictured a commander-like king who would conquer the Roman Empire and bring freedom to the Jewish people. So for hundreds of years, the Jewish people have been watching and waiting for the Christ. And so Paul arrives in Thessalonica, goes to the synagogue, and begins to say to them, Hey, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I have good news for you. Right? Remember the promised Messiah we've all been waiting for. Guess what? He's already arrived. He's been here. He's actually Jesus. You remember that carpenter from Nazareth who was crucified by Pontius Pilate, but then resurrected from the grave and all of that. He is actually our Messiah. He is actually the Christ. And he came not to overthrow the Roman Empire and deliver the Jews from oppression, but he came to conquer death and deliver all peoples everywhere from the devastating consequences of sin. This was the truth Paul helped them to see in the scriptures. Jesus is more than a prophet. Jesus is more than a Jewish carpenter turned rabbi who gained a following and then died and rose again. He's actually the Christ, the long-awaited king of Israel. Jesus is king. And the crowds that had gathered in the synagogue that day had a choice. They could either accept him as king and begin to live for him, or reject him and continue to live for themselves. As we seek to be a church family on mission with Jesus in this city, this is the same message we'll be sharing with people. It's the gospel, and at the heart of the gospel is Jesus the King. And Jesus is not just a king, as in one of many kings. He's the king, the ruler of all the kings of the earth. In the um, book of Revelation, um, Jesus is given a title, and that title is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And to be a king means to have power, but to be a king over all kings is to have all the power um, there is no one more powerful now, nor will there ever be any who is more powerful than Jesus. Jesus is the promised king who was to come to reign over his people, the Jews. And he's not just the king of the Jews, he's the king of the world. And so, Jesus is king. And if Jesus is the king of the world, the question I want to ask is, is he your king? And if you're here and you're like, yes, Jesus is my king, man. It's like my savior, my Lord, he's my everything. The question I would like you to think about is, 
Do you live as though Jesus is your king? Does he have your complete allegiance? Do you live as though Jesus is the king of your life? Because Jesus is king, um, and because our uh, mission as the ch- as a church is to not only live for Jesus as our King, but to also um, go around like Paul, reasoning with people and helping them see that Jesus is King. Because of all of this, how should we expect people to respond to this good news? Okay, like it's good news to us, but just think about it. When we communicate the gospel to people. What we're basically saying is that Jesus is king, this king, all right, who, who didn't come and rule and dominate, but he came to serve. And by serving, he died on the cross. And through his death and resurrection, we have forgiveness of sins. And eternal. like, this is what we're communicating to people. And so as we go around communicating the gospel of Jesus, being the king, What will the response be like? How are people going to respond? And I love this story. I love this passage because it helps us know two things. It helps us know that because Jesus is king, some people are going to accept him as king and some people are going to reject him as king. All right. First, some people will accept Jesus as king. Look at verse 4. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And so it is telling us after hearing um, some of the Jews in the synagogue, after hearing about Jesus being king and the Messiah and everything like that, some of them believed. They were persuaded and they decided to commit their life to following Jesus. And this group of new converts um, became the first Christian community in Thessalonica. And if you know something about, you know, if you're familiar with your Bible, Paul later wrote a letter called Thessalonians. He wrote two letters um, titled Thessalonians, and they're in the New Testament. And that was a letter Paul wrote after, um, you know, several months after he had been in Thessalonica. And in that letter, he communicates his love and appreciation for them. And he is impressed that they are standing and still enduring and loving Jesus through um, persecution. Um, and so that's it. And so. Uh, that's what's ha- what's happening here is that they have accepted Jesus Christ um, as king. Um, and I became a Christian at the age of 17. All right. I was living in London and I was, you know, I, I was OK. I was I thought I was a really bad boy, but I don't think I was. I thought I was a gangster. Did I tell you that I had an American accent, even though I was an American? I've told you guys that, haven't I? Basically, I was so in, like <laughs> I was so inspired by American hip hop and American hip hop culture. Like living in London, I would dress like I was, um, you know, baggy shorts, baggy t-shirts, everything like that, and I'd go around talking like I had an American accent and everything. So, got saved then, and 
Um, I remember getting saved and how it happened to me was I was given a New Testament and I read the Gospel of Mark. And the more I read the Gospel of Mark, the more Jesus became appealing to me. And one day I was on my own in my living room. It was late at night as I read about Jesus and as I listened to kind of gospel preaching on TV because Christian TV had arrived in the UK at the time, I decided that I wanted to surrender my life to King Jesus. And it was an amazing experience, of course. It's changed my life. Um, And ever since then, I have had the privilege of witnessing many people people accept Jesus Christ as king. It's amazing. Like we should be encouraged by this as we go about sharing the gospel and reasoning with people and dialoguing and interacting with them and helping them see that Jesus is king and that Jesus died for them and he rose so that they 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 would have their sins forgiven and it, you know and, and eternal life. We should be encouraged that we are going to see people actually accept and believe this news but not everyone will accept Jesus as their king in the years to come as long as God has us here on this earth we will sadly witness many people reject him as king look at verse 5 but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men and so the Jews there are some Jews that accepted but some of them rejected um, out of jealousy and what they did was um, you know taking some wicked men of the rabble they formed a mob set the city in uproar and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them out to the crowd and so many people in Thessalonica may have accepted Jesus as king but others chose to reject him as king All right, the Jews in Thessalonica, um, they've been hearing about what's been going on. Paul's making quite an impact in the synagogue. And so they get super jealous. They are threatened by this new movement and wholeheartedly they believe what um, Paul's teaching is misleading and dangerous. And so what they do is they start scheming and coming up with a plan to stop whatever is going on there. And so they end up coming up with this wild idea. Okay, they end up recruiting a bunch of of troublemakers from the city okay you see that part that says taking some wicked men of the rabble so basically they went on the street (laughs) and found the most thuggish troublemakers and get what did they do they formed a mob okay and this mob of wicked troublemakers they start a riot in the city And they invade the house of a Christian named Jason looking for Paul and Silas, but their search is unsuccessful. Paul and Silas are nowhere to be found in Jason's house. So the mob arrest Jason and several other Christians and then accuse them of treason and force them to stand trial before city officials. And so verse 6 and 7 is a summary of the charge they brought against them let's look at it they said this these men have turned the world upside down these men sorry who have turned the world upside down have come here also verse 7 and jason has received them 
and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, Jesus. So they accuse them of two things. First, they accuse them of turning the world upside down. The second accusation they bring against them is that they're acting against the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king. Now, this second accusation is what gets Paul and his team in a lot of trouble. Why? Remember that Thessalonica at the time was a Roman province. And because of this, citizens of the city believed Caesar was king, the king. And so in those days, to even mention that someone else was king other than a Roman Caesar was a serious crime. According to the law of the land, Caesar is the only king. But what does Paul does? He comes along and says, Jesus is the true king. He's the king of all kings and his kingdom will reign forever. And so it's no surprise that when the city authorities hear about this, it says in verse 8 that they are disturbed. Okay? In other words, they're appalled and disgusted by Paul's audacity to teach that there's another king other than Caesar. And so this is all getting out of hand. Paul's life is in danger. And the lives of the other Christians are in jeopardy as long as he remains in the city. And so for his own safety and the safety of others, he decides to leave the city of Thessalonica. Okay, around 2,000 years ago, okay, in Thessalonica, some citizens of this ancient city rejected Jesus. That's what we're seeing here. Some members of the Jewish community rejected Jesus as the Messianic king because he didn't fit their description or their idea of what a Messianic king was like. They were expecting the Messiah, their king, to be a military figure who would defeat the Romans and restore the nation of Israel back to the glory days. And so um, for them, Jesus is not the king. He's not a military figure. He, he's just not. Uh, as for the Romans, they rejected Jesus as king because they genuinely believed Caesar was the only king. And so that was then. But the thing is, there are people in our city, members of our family, people we work with and play with who continue to reject Jesus as the king of their lives. They may not be as outspoken about it, but they reject Jesus as king when they choose to live for themselves rather than live for him. So some of them may accept Jesus as king. Others may never make a decision. Um, and for some, because they reject Jesus as king, what will happen is that they will be determined to make life difficult for you and me and other Christians. They'll have this irrational hatred towards us. They'll hate us just because we love Jesus. And uh, so three weeks ago, I was talking about something similar. I was kind of talking about as we kind of 
expand and become more visible in this community, um, we're going to see God work and people are going to accept Jesus and we're going to see God do amazing things and baptisms and everything. But I also said the more visibly present we become, um, the more um, opposition and trials will endure. Okay, this was two weeks ago. And the interesting thing is this. We've been, what we've been doing is putting some signs up, all right, along kind of Le Mans and Soledad. We've been putting signs up to just, you know, we put the signs up on Saturday mornings and then we take them down Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. And two weeks ago, I'd gone and put the signs up early sun Saturday morning and I I, I was around the area driving, and so I thought, oh, let me just see if our signs are still there. They should be there, because we've been doing it for a few weeks now. I went, and three of our signs in the main junction were gone. And so I panicked. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, it's the city. They're like getting really upset with us. And it could be, but we don't think it is. And so I called a few people, and I was like, man, what's the rule? We are allowed to put signs up, as long as we don't leave them there, and we take them there. And we don't know where the signs are, but everyone I've spoke to is convinced that there is someone um, in this neighborhood who just didn't want our signs up. And I look at that and I'm just like, man, this is so interesting. This is nothing compared to what Paul and Silas are going through. This is nothing compared to what other people are going through in other cities. But trust me, the more we become obsessed with making Jesus famous in this city, um, I think the more we'll experience opposition and trials. And our signs missing, we might think, oh my gosh, who, who could it have been? But it's, <laughs> it's a thing. It's a thing, all right. And so that's what's happening there. So far, we've seen that Jesus is king, and some people accept him as king, and others reject him as king of their lives. Lastly, um, let's look at how some people uh, will, will, will not do either. They will not accept him or reject him, but they will choose to remain kind of on the fence in order to explore more about who Jesus is. And so Paul and his team flee persecution in Thessalonica and travel some 45 miles west to a city called Berea. Okay, look at verse 10. Um, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And in the Jewish synagogue, Paul tells everyone who Jesus is and the salvation he offers them. And the response he gets from the Jews in Berea is unlike any other. Look at verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so the Jews in Berea who heard Paul's teaching that day are described as being more noble than the Jews in Thessalonica. Um, why were they noble? Firstly, because they received the word with all eagerness. All right? In other words, they were eager to hear Paul teach from the scriptures. They couldn't wait to discover truths from God's word. The second reason they're described as noble is because they were not just passive listeners. 
Look what it says. It says they examined the scriptures daily to see if these were so. In other words, everything Paul told them, they didn't just hear it and just blindly accept it. They were like, man, we've not heard that before. It sounds great, but we're going to go do our own research in order to understand whether what he's really saying is true. Um, Ajit Fernando who's a theologian, says this, they expressed an attitude of humble receptivity that lies at the heart of faith. Because of their noble approach to the gospel, look at verse 12, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And so, ladies and gentlemen, as we seek to share the gospel, this is what's going to happen. We're going to encounter people that accept Jesus, that fully embrace Jesus as king. We're also going to encounter people that are like, nah, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Just outright reject Jesus. But we're going to encounter people who will be like the Bereans, okay? Um, they will be eager to hear us, genuine interest in the gospel and the things of God, um, but they would want to know more. They would want to go and, you know, they would have follow-up questions and will want to dialogue and ask questions about Christianity and they would want to go and do their own research and they will want to explore challenging questions like, if God exists, why is there suffering? Okay, they would want to explore questions like, how can I trust what the Bible says is true? Or what is the church all about anyway? Aren't all religions basically the same? Isn't following Jesus all about following rules? All right, and we are going to encounter people that may not accept or reject, but want to know more and ask questions and explore Christianity further. And when that happens, let's not get offended. Okay, let's not think, oh my gosh, they're asking too many questions. Some, some people do that out of um, malicious intent. Okay, they do. But some people are just genuine and they want to take time to understand what Christianity really means. And in the fall, I hope this happens. We're trying to get some funding for it, but we want to start um, a class. Um, that allows people to explore um, Christianity and why it matters to them. And as a church, we just don't want to start a class for other people. We want to start um, equipping you guys so that you can be ready not just to share your faith, but to be ready to answer any questions and help people um, just walk through Scripture um, with them. And so that's the plan. The Bereans and how they responded to the gospel may give us an idea of how some people will respond to the gospel, but I think they're also an example for us as Christians when it comes to how we should respond to everything we hear, okay? Um, I want us, okay? We want to be a church that loves God and loves his word, okay? We want to be a church full of people that are not just listeners, but learners and students. It's awesome that 
in our current culture, we have access to unlimited, <laughs> right, teaching and content, okay? Um, you know, there are so many options out there. We can go on Amazon and buy any book we want. It's one click. We're on YouTube and we have access to so many theological great content out there. But what I want to remind you of, guys, is for us to not be gullible. We have to take We have to be careful to not just believe and accept what someone's saying because they're likable, because they're eloquent, and because they sound smart. With a British accent, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> In our cultural moment, there are many teachers out there we have unlimited access to so much content. And listen to me here. So much content. So many different teachers. So many books, articles, blog posts. But like the Bereans, okay, in Acts chapter 17, we must test everything against God's word. And what that means is that we must be a people that are familiar with God's word. And to become familiar with God's word means giving time to not just a quick read, because you just want to feel better about yourself, but giving time to just devouring God's word this year, beginning of the year, I was challenged to not just get through my daily, yearly reading plan and just get it done. I was challenged to carve out quality time so that I can just enjoy and read and study and grapple and think through God's word. And I was challenged because uh, not only that, not only the discipline to do that, but I was challenged to pray and ask God to get me to a place where I actually delight and enjoy reading scripture. And part of that challenge involved me realizing that, man, there are so many things in my life that are just incredibly appealing. Okay, just in, I do it without and I just enjoy. So, for example, if I, I don't get I don't watch many movies, not because I'm like, oh, I hate movies and I'm super spiritual and everything. I just I fall asleep all the time. <laughs> Ask my wife. She said, like, let's watch this movie. And I'm like, OK, it sounds good. And I'm just gone. Um, I can't believe. Last week or the week before. We watched one of my f the, the the sequel to one of my favorite movies of all time, um, Coming to America. <laughs> when I was young, I watched it. We watched it every Christmas. Just incredible, great film. And I was looking forward to watching this sequel, and I cannot believe that I actually fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
I don't know what it is, man. Maybe I need to get some more sleep and start waking up early in the morning. But like I just and 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 but when I find something I really like normally, I cling on to it. So if I find a Netflix show that I like, I just love it. And I watch one episode and I look at the time and I'm like, can I fit in another episode? And then when that episode is done, I'm texting someone and saying, hey, we were supposed to hang out. <laughs> True story. But, you know, can we like reschedule because I want to watch another show and I want to watch another and I just get through the whole thing. Don't think that if I text you to reschedule, I'm watching the next week. Just, okay, I've got over that. But I looked at that relationship and that attitude I have towards shows that I really liked. And I started playing, praying and saying, God, I want to feel that way about your word. I want to get to that place where I'm like, reading scripture and I'm looking at the time and I'm like man I've only got five minutes and oh I wish I had more time I wish that and I cannot get enough of God's word I truly desire to get to that place of not just disciplining myself but actually delighting in God's word why because God's word is, as Tim McKee says, is a unified story that leads to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Like Paul walks into the synagogue, picks up the Old Testament and says to um, the, the, the attendees there, like everything that is being said about this Messiah in this Old Testament, it's about Jesus. The scriptures, the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And so if we love Jesus, if he's truly the king of our lives, man, everything that has to do with Jesus has to to be things that we enjoy and delight in. God is the loving king of everything and everyone because he made everything and everyone. God made the whole world and everything in it. And even though God is the true king, the truth is we don't want him to be our king. We do what we want to do instead of what God wants us to do. Um, we turned against our king and followed our own ways, even though it would cost us our lives. This is what the Bible calls sin. Our sin poisoned God's perfect creation, giving way to sickness, injustice, and death. Sin separated from one another and from God. But rather than God giving up on humanity, what did he do? God sent his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus became human. He breathed the air. We breathed and became human like us, but Jesus was very different to us. He lived a perfect life, and this life he lived, this perfect life, was the life God intended for us to live. And Jesus called us 
to repent of our sin and follow him in faith. And some believed his word, recognized him as king, others denied him. And as Rico Tice says, he says, they crowned him with thorns. Some people crowned him with thorns and murdered him. They rejected him and so have we. But God had an epic plan. His one and only son, Jesus, willingly gave himself up to die on a cross to save us from God's judgment and the death we deserve. And on that cross, he exchanged our rebellion for his obedience and our brokenness for his perfection. The son of God died so that we could live. And on the third day, he rose to life again, defeating death forever. And now this is what's happening. This is the reality. Okay. This is what's super true. Jesus sits on the throne of heaven and offers life through and offers life to all those who repent and trust in him. Jesus is the king of kings. And the question is, you can either crown him or crucify him. And there's really no middle ground. This morning, you've heard about Jesus. You've heard how Jesus is the king of the world. And so the question is, will you commit to him? Will you pledge your allegiance to King Jesus? Will you commit to living your life, not for yourself, but for Jesus the King? And don't just take my word for it. I would encourage you to read the Bible for yourself to discover who Jesus truly is. And I hope when you do, you'll discover that Jesus is truly your King. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Jesus, you are king. And so I pray that you would help all of us continue or begin to live our lives in light of who you truly are. Help us to be way more committed to you than anyone or anything else. Help us to pledge our allegiance to you. God, I pray for all of us that you would help us see and know how we can live in such a way that communicates to the people around us that Jesus is our King. Help us this week apply these truths to our lives. And in Jesus' name, name we pray.